welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a meal. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. Of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. Q Bruce. God damn, kid. God damn it. What the hell show you got there? I need more. Ooh, yeah. What say you? Pronouns, pal. And now, something to wrestle with. Con Bruce Pritchard. The second most recognizable athlete in the entire world today. Conrad Olsen. What happened when? Huh? What would Vince say about that? Well, hey, Vince. Sure, I'm so good tonight. Yeah. You're so big. Yeah. Let's go. Bullshit. Welcome to WrestleMania. Pearl title now. Welcome to something to wrestle something with. To wrestle something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Dig it. Bruce Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, I'm just absolutely wonderful. Kind of good to be back in the saddle. Still got a bunch of loose teeth. So, uh, you know, folks are going to have to work with me here for a little bit while I get used to like just teeth kind of being hung on still by stitches and all that good shit. Well, I'll tell you what, we got great feedback from the show. We dropped earlier this week. It was a surprise release. Nobody expected it, but King of the ring 1994 is now released out into the wild. Uh, I got really good feedback from this show. What was the feedback you got from King of the Ring 94? Well, I, I think it was good. I think they were happy to hear us talking again was probably a great response and a really good feeling. I know I was, and uh, it was a fun show to do. And when we got done with it, I remember, you know, shit, both you and I kind of looking at each other and going, oh, that was a lot of fun. And it was a fun show and a good show. So positive feedback thus far anything else interesting happened this week um yeah not really you know kind of same old same old just been working man all right well i mean i guess we should at least address it the internet blew up on thursday with the news that smackdown and raw now have executive directors and uh yeah this doesn't feel like a pair of names you would hear in 2019. It seems a little bit like a fever dream. Paul Heyman is the executive director of raw and Eric freaking Bischoff is the executive director of SmackDown. Your friends with Couldn't these guys be happier for both of them. Great news for our great close personal friend, Mr. Eric Bischoff to be back in wrestling. How excited do you think Eric is with this news? I think he's ecstatic and I'm proud of him and very happy for him. And you know what? Time will tell. And I think Eric's going to do a wonderful job. 
Well, and we hope that we're doing a wonderful job for you here on the show, uh, because if we are, you're going to take our advice and you're going to check out Turo. I've been talking about Turo for a while here. And if you're out of the loop, it's the largest car sharing marketplace in the world where you can book any car you want from a community of trusted hosts from exotic sports cars to pickup trucks. Turo has the widest selection of cars available anywhere for whatever occasion. So download the Turo app. That's T-U-R-O on the app store or Google play or visit Turo.com. You'll get $25 off your first trip. When you sign up with the promo code wrestle June at checkout terms apply. And you can go and get a Turo car and take somebody out for their birthday. So we can wish you a very happy belated birthday as well. Since your birthday was tomorrow. I thought that's what you were talking about. The big news this week. No, I. Me turning 38 is not nearly as newsworthy as Eric Bischoff being back with WWE. Well, who would have thought it was to me two years ago. Would you have ever predicted that not only you, but Eric Bischoff would both be back with WWE and kind of high profile jobs. There's a lot of things that I wouldn't have predicted two years ago. So, uh, it's you have to keep an open mind and, and I will say this and I, and all you going to say this publicly, I say this to Conrad all the time though, but Conrad Thompson was a person is a person who was able to help me open up my mind and make me think of things in a completely different way and look at life through a completely different lens. So you know what? Any and everything is possible and it's just a pretty damn exciting time to be to be alive and to be having some fun and doing what we love to do. So that's pretty cool shit. If you ask me, very cool shit. And, uh, we're excited for our friends and excited to see what's happening next, but what we're doing next year on the show, King of the ring 99, it went down 20 years ago yesterday, happening on June 27th, 1999 at the Greensboro Coliseum. And the show is a legit sellout 19,761 fans. And, uh, they're going to announce just over 20,000 on TV. There's 18,574 fans for a huge gate, especially for the time $574,000 and then another 110 in merchandise. So it's going to fall a little shy of the all-time attendance record, which is 20,268 paid. And that happened a year prior, basically at the uh, unforgiven pay-per-view, which we've talked about before is. The one where famously Ric Flair is circling the building, but the, uh, the previous gate record was 380 grand for like Starcade 86. So a huge success. Uh, it does well on pay-per-view as well. Does a 1.13 buy rate and a company gross of 5.41 million. I- I'm really fascinated by these set of numbers in particular. For a few reasons. One, because WCW is on a steep decline at this point. Eric Bischoff is sort of scratching his head, trying to figure out where Nitro went wrong. Um, Vince Russo is just a few months away from jumping ship. Once Eric Bischoff goes home, uh, I don't know, four or five more months. But this show happens essentially in WCW territory. I mean, Greensboro is synonymous with Starcade. And now the WWF comes to town and just sets all kinds of records. 
And once upon a time, and we've covered this in the archives, if you listen to some of our Hulkamania shows from like Hulkamania 87, Hulkamania 88, you guys didn't always draw super awesome in this territory. How good does it feel to come in and set fucking records? Well, it was, as I've said many times, it was a good time in the business to be able to go anywhere and walk in and have good money drawing houses and be able to walk out of there with a full house. So it, it was feeling good. And the tide was turning because I think that people had already made their decision. They were jumping off of the WCW boat at the time and they had decided, man, I'm, I'm a WWE guy. I'm going over here. So that's nice. And it's nice when you can go into a stronghold of your competitor at the time, be able to outdraw them and outwork them and do it right there, you know, where, where they had a stronghold. So yes, that does feel good because traditionally in the South, they didn't get a lot of WWF and what they got was off the cable and, and what they got was, you know, that later feed at the time. So it was, it's a good feeling. Okay. You know, it's, it's a, who's the, I almost said Sally Struthers, Sally Fields. You know, they like me. They like me. Um, so yes, it's, it's an accomplishment. Business is way up. As you said, and, you know, 98 is, is famously where you guys sort of turned it all around. You're going to be super profitable in 98 and, uh, set all kinds of company records, but here in 99, you're going to do it again. Your average attendance in June of 98 is 9,568 fans. Process what I just said. That was your average in June of 98. Now compare that to what we're hearing these days. I mean, it's, it shows you, you know, the cycles of the business. Well, the average attendance here in June of 99, it's up 27%. We're over 12,216 fans on average. And your gates are up too. not just 27% though. Try this on. How about we're up 63%. Your average gate in June of 98, 179 grand. Now that's average. That includes house shows. That's unbelievable. Unheard of. And a year later, it's 293 grand. It's unbelievable. You're selling out nearly 65% of your house shows and ratings are up. Your average rating in June of 98 is a 4.5, which today would just be crazy. How about it goes up 45%. WCW's on the decline. Those wrestling fans have settled in on raw 6.54 is the average rating. Man, everywhere you look, it's just uh win after win after win here, is it not? People had they had the fever and they had the fever, they were into what we were doing. I, I dare say you know, they were still into WCW trying to see what was gonna be going on there. So it was a good time to be a wrestling fan because there was a lot of choice and there was a lot going on. So the McMahon Austin era was running rampant. And it was brand new, still fresh. So yeah, it was a good time to be a wrestling fan. There was a lot of shit going on. There is a lot of shit going on, uh, including some not so great stuff. Uh, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I do want to mention this is the first pay-per-view since we lost Owen Hart. Uh, of course he passed away in May of 99 over the edge, uh, at the very end of the month is when Owen had his funeral in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. What do you remember about Owen's funeral? 
Well, obviously it was a horrible tragedy and, and an extremely sad, sad time to lose someone so young and someone as vibrant and as great of a human being as Owen Hart was the, uh, God, I think the entire company went because Owen was just that loved and he was that well-respected and, and it was, it was a dark time. It, it was a dark, very difficult thing to do. And I remember, um, making the pilgrimage out to Calgary to pay the respects, you know, you're paying your respects to a dear friend, but also, you know, a family that has been a part of this business that uh, I've known for many years as well. And it just was, you had to look inside and you had to, you have to put your head down and you have to barrel through it. And it's not easy, not fun, nothing, nothing good, you know, out of it. Um, but you, you do the right thing and you go and you pay your respects and, and you show your love and you show your support and, and respect to the family and to the human being that contributed so much throughout his entire life. And, uh, to this day is sorely missed. One of the things that comes out of this, um, funeral is the first face to face meeting with Bret Hart and Vince McMahon post Montreal. Do you remember that being discussed or is it just, does it happen? No, it happened. I, I wasn't a part of it. And I think that it was, there was much, it was much more made out of it, you know, from everyone else that Vince it's two human beings. It's two human beings that may have had a disagreement or professional disagreement, but for them to get together, they're getting together over the loss of a loved one and they're getting together over a, a very tragic situation to discuss and to forget about all this other bullshit and share condolences. That's what that was. And I think people lose sight of that, that is, Oh my God, you know, Brett and Vince are going to meet together. What's going to happen. And there was that speculation, people going, Oh, Oh, you know, is Brett going to beat him up? Is are they gonna? no, that, that wasn't even, that's just silly over speculating, um, fantasy talk. It was, it was human beings getting together to express their condolences. And it happened to be, unfortunately, sometimes the first time that you have those opportunities are in unfortunate yeah, situations. Let's talk a little bit about, um, the coverage of the passing. Larry King is uh, a subject of a lot of discussion in this era. Martha was on there and of course she has, um, taken issue with the WWE. What's the relationship like with, with Larry King after, you know, some, some pretty famous moments with him in the eighties, it feels like it's maybe there was a falling out or something. And now it's back and it's not necessarily for a good reason. What, what, what can you tell us about Larry King? 
I don't know that there was ever any real, there was never any real working relationship with Larry King. We've been on Larry King shows for various topics and Larry King, no different than the Geraldos of the, of the world and the CNNs of the world that like to sensationalize whatever story is out there for news. We're in a 24 hour news cycle where they had to create programming. So they created controversy and they wanted to create whatever other dynamic that they possibly could. And we made ourselves available to the various media outlets as best that we could. And it wasn't, you know, uh, wasn't comfortable by any stretch of the imagination, but Larry, I don't know that Larry was ever a friend of the WWE where he would go, Hey guys, come on on. We're going to throw you some softballs and make this all good. That's not what those people do. And it certainly isn't what the folks at CNN were looking to do. And they also being associated with Turner sports, they're, they're going to take that other side. And, but that's, that's what the media does and they're going to spin it so that they have a story and as much sensationalism as they can, they're going to throw it out there. What do you remember about Martha's claim that she asked Vince McMahon not to show footage from the funeral? He comes out afterwards and says that he spoke to her no less than five times and she never mentioned not showing it, but. I guess somewhere along the way, she says she did, you know, have explicit instructions for Carl DeMarco, who was the president of, uh, you know, the Canadian side of the company. I don't really know. I, I never, I was never privy to any of the meetings that Martha ever had with Vince and, you know, heard that after the fact, but we had cameras there, the media, everyone had cameras there. There was footage of the funeral news footage all over the world, uh, because Owen Hart was a global figure that was loved all over the world. So I, that's hard to speak, speak to having never heard that from her, nor had I ever heard it from anyone else. And Owen was a major figure on our television show. He was a big part of our TV show. He was a part of the WWE family. So, I think that, you know, knowing Vince the way that, uh, you know, I know Vince, I, I think that he would have respected those wishes had they been made directly to him emphatically, but who's to know who I, I can't say, yes, I heard, I heard her say it or no, I didn't hear her say it because I wasn't privy to any of those conversations. Vince writes a letter to the Calgary sun, sort of defending himself saying, that, Hey, I talked to her multiple times. She didn't say anything. And she tried to get our flowers removed, uh, from the, uh, facility and the WWF has covered a ton of expenses here that she may not even know about limousines, transportation of the body, flowers, service folders, video screens, public address systems, buses, signage for buses, armbands, catering, housekeeping, lawn cleanup, men's and ladies clothing, sunglasses, hairdressing. Uh, obituaries, a Canadian flag. Uh, the WBF also paid $152,200 for transportation expenses for WBF talent and personnel. So he's defending himself in the paper. This happens, you know, in early June. So I mean, a week later, 
This is already getting ugly and public. Well, you know, and not, I hate to say it. I mean, but, but not by us. It's at some point when you get hit so many times, at some point you got to put your hands up and, and defend yourself a little bit. And I think that Vince was just trying to say, here's what we have done. And we didn't make any of that public at first. You don't go in and say, okay, Hey, here's this tragedy. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do this, this, that you just do it. And that's what he did. And I don't think that Vince ever looked at it as I'm going to go do this. So everybody come and thank me and tell me how great I am. But I also don't think he, he thought that someone was going to come in and say, oh, what a horrible person. So the, yeah, at some point, man, you gotta, you gotta defend yourself. You gotta, you gotta say, okay, well maybe what you're hearing is only one side. And, and I understand a skewed side. I, I couldn't imagine losing a loved one the way that they did. And you just have to weigh it. Meltzer would write, as mentioned before, the contrast between this funeral where every wrestler and key office personnel were strongly encouraged to attend and the Brian Pillman funeral, which wasn't a media event and exactly zero people working for the WWF attended is just too amazing. Talk to me about the differences, you know, from a company perspective. Well, first of all, there's a huge difference. Owen Hart has spent his entire career at WWE. And Brian had not Brian had, you know, not been with WWE for a a long, long time. I also think that Brian's funeral was scheduled, uh, right around a television taping and what have you, um, you're talking apples and pomegranates, unfortunately. And it wasn't something that, you know, Brian was, was with us. Yes, he was. And I miss Brian's funeral because of, you know, you had to work. Some people had to work. Some people had to go on and, and move on. Um, Owens was scheduled at a time where people could make it. It was also over, I believe, a, uh, uh, a holiday weekend or something like that. It was, but it was scheduled at a time where everyone was available to go. That's it more than anything. It wasn't, oh, we like Owen better than Brian. That, that, that's ludicrous. That's somebody just stirring shit and trying to make something out of nothing. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the business at the time. It, it's way, way up. Uh, Meltzer's going to say, based on figures the WWF has released in its quest to go public, the company pays about 13% of its income to the performers a figure exceedingly low for any comparably sized sports or entertainment franchise. The profit margin for both WWF and WCW over the past few years was 167% for the WWF and 145% for WCW greater than what the total payroll for the performers were. You can take the most successful franchises in pro sports and none would be able to boast anything remotely close to that. And to me on the surface, I say bravo for the owners because their job is to keep as much as possible of the pie at the end of the year. And if the workers are so gutless to not unionize in this kind of business and fight for their fair share, that's their problem. But the surface is looking at this as nothing but a business last week, hopefully brought some reality to everyone involved with the talk of buy rates, gates, six and seven figure contracts, hundreds of millions of dollars in gross revenue and record ratings 
the human costs have escalated totally out of control. What do you make of, uh, this report that the company at this point, 13% gets passed down to the boys? Well, I don't know how accurate that that truly is. I, I think that when you look at the overall, what the talent was making and overall contributions, I believe it was probably more than that, but this is a business. This is a business about, uh, touring. This is a business about television. This is a business about merchandising. This is a business about making movies. This is a business that encompasses a lot of other things other than the traditional, Hey, we're going to run a wrestling match on Friday night and we're going to show the television show on Saturday. This is, it's a completely different animal. And sometimes when a guy that doesn't understand the rest of the side of the business will analyze it. They're looking at it the way that it was. Well, when Bill Watts ran it by God, this is what the guys made different. It, it was a completely different model. It was a completely different way of doing business of looking at the business and revenue stream because you didn't have those revenue streams that were available to us at this point even 10 years before that. So that's just kind of, in my opinion, again, ill-informed. Well, there's some more bad news coming the WBF's way. Um, a couple of lawsuits are coming. You know where we're headed here. We've touched on them before. We'll briefly touch on them again. Um, Martha sues and she sues the world wrestling federation. It's done at a press conference or the there's a, a press conference held on June 15th in Kansas city. Uh, of course, that's where this is going to be tried. The circuit court of Jackson County, Missouri. And, you know, I know we've touched on this before, but it's a 118 page lawsuit. It's going to list 46 counts against 13 different, uh, defendants and, uh, and just, you know, 10 days prior to this or so is when Rena Mero, the former Sable is going to file a $140 million lawsuit against Titan. And, you know, obviously this is a totally different matter completely. This one's going down in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's been building for months. Nobody's been happy and it all comes to a head here. We've talked about Sable suing before. Uh, it was a, a really hot topic in one of our most discussed episodes. If you'd like to check it out, it's something to wrestle.com in the archives, but man, Two of the biggest lawsuits in company history coming in within a two week period. Pretty wild timing, huh? Yeah. I think that it was a good time to want to sue the WWE apparently. And when you're on top, you've, you've got to look at that and people are always going to be coming after you no matter what. Uh, so that's what was happening, man. You're on top and people want to knock you down and people want to go after and, and knock down the top dog and do whatever it is that they can to discredit and get their peace that they may feel that they're deserved to. And as time tells out, you know, that's the one thing about history. When you look back at it, you can analyze things and go, okay, well at the time this looked like there was an awful lot of, uh, you know, fire here. But when it all comes down to it, when you get all the way through it, there was not even a whole lot of smoke and not much came out of them. So it's, 
it's difficult because you have to defend yourself. You have to stand up and say, you have to say, Hey, now, wait a minute. Um, here's our, here's our side of it. And for many, many years, especially in the wrestling business where it was so secretive anyway, you know, shit, you didn't, you didn't want to have a lawsuit from the standpoint of you didn't want to answer the question. Now think how silly this is. You didn't want to have a lawsuit because you didn't want to answer the question. Um, sir, are the matches predetermined? Right. Promoters didn't want to answer that under oath. Wrestlers didn't want to have to say that. And you would have wrestlers that would, would get on, uh, and lie and say, Oh no, I, you know, <laughs> bless his heart. Bruno San Martino. When Bruno won, it was real. When Bruno lost, it was fake. Um, so th these were the things that now all of a sudden the business is becoming more and more public, uh, inside is becoming more and more available to the outside where people are going, Hey, this, this, this is a business. This isn't just two guys getting in a ring on Friday night and having a match to see who's going to win the gold belt. And that got wall street interested that got, you know, local media, national media, international media. They're all interested. They think they found something out and you just, you know, you, you do what you can and you fight and, and it was a, it was a different tactic to go in and say, okay, no, you know what? We're a business. No, this is, this is how it works. The, uh, the news with, with arena takes a turn. You can hear all about the lawsuit we cover in great detail in the archives and there's a ton to cover here timeline wise, but we already did it on that show. So I'm just going to leave most of that discussion there, but something I just recently talked about with Eric. So I want to bring up to you. Rena appears on nitro on June 14th. Now, of course she's still under contract to the WWF, but she's not walking down the ramp. She's just seated in the front row and there's tons of camera close-ups. And they're going to be reacting to her and they're getting shots of, you know, a sign in the crowd that says Sable one Vince McMahon zero Eric Bischoff, of course, is going to, you know, claim, oh, I don't know what's going on. And of course, on our show, he admits that, you know, knowing what I know now, she probably, uh, paid cash and got a receipt for that ticket. And that was our workaround for having her appear. You guys are in the middle of this lawsuit. You're at raw and bam, there is uh, sable front and center on nitro. What's Vince's reaction? Pissed. <laughs> you know what else? Here's one of your contractually obligated stars is on your competitor's show and, and sitting there. So I say hats off, you know, hats off to Eric for being able to pull that one off and regardless of whether she paid cash for a ticket and sat there and on her own volition or, or whatever, a uh, great publicity stunt. I love it. Um, they did it. Didn't love it at the time. Pretty damn pissed off at the time and angry, but, um, you still got, you still got to tip the hat to the balls that it took to do it on everyone's part. And that got people talking that got people talking, you know, for the momentum 
in their eyes, hopefully, man, that might shift the other way now. Oh my God, look now, now Sable's showing up over on Nitro. Well, who, who's next? So oh God shit is, is, is the invasion happening again? So good job on their part. I applaud them for that one. Um, I'm not sure Eric will probably, you know, skirt some of those legal issues as far as contact, who made contact, how, and who knew what, and what they were going to do. But, uh, kudos for pulling it off. Something else we should talk about is the fact that, uh, while it may be pulled off, Jerry McDevitt has something to say about it. Just two days later, uh, he's going to be threatening WCW with a lawsuit and WCW of course replies a handful of days later and says that, Hey, she doesn't work here. <laughs> um, of course, lots of people are speculating. Does that mean she was paid to appear and, um, lots of interesting stuff. But one thing that he digs his heels on is, uh, the name quote, she can sue us till the cows come home and she's not going to get it. Talking about the name Sable. She can make all the allegations she wants and it won't get her anywhere. When do you remember the first, like in the, in your tenure going back to 87, when was like the first fight you remember about a name who owns a name, who can keep a name, who wants to leave and continue to call themselves that, but. Vince or Jerry says, ah, not so fast. Wow. About a name. That's you know, the, the big one. I remember, I always remember is the ultimate warrior. And, and that was one that was, you know, contested over and over in court. And that was something that, that I was specifically involved in. And that was one that Vince was going to dig in because, you know, I, I distinctively remember coming up with the name, the ultimate warrior in an agent meeting or in a production meeting and how, and how that whole process for that particular name worked and how Vince didn't even want to use the name warrior, uh, to debut warrior on a national level. Uh, so an independent, uh, an independent, an intellectual property, you know, that, that IP is very important when you invest in that and you've got all your money tied up into that and you create something, you have to protect it. And Vince was going to protect his IPs. He was definitely going to protect those intellectual properties at any cost, because once you, you give that up, now there's certain people that he's given concessions to that he's allowed for them to go on and continue to use the intellectual property, but they're still tied and still owned by the company. So yeah, Vince took that one very seriously and wasn't about to let somebody go out and, and trade off of his investment to go make money for another company or another company to make money off of his investment in his IP without paying him. Let's, uh, Let's talk about somebody who's trying to get paid here. Meltzer would write negotiations with Shane Douglas fell apart and were told far more was made of them than was ever really a story. They had one meeting and the WWF made an offer and wanted him to take a physical and a drug test because a lot of people advised him he was damaged goods. His agent came back with a demand in the $350,000 per year range and the WWF 
pulled their offer. I think most people listening to this know that Shane had a couple of stops with you guys, but probably most notoriously in 95 is Dean Douglas. Then he goes to ECW, becomes one of their top guys, and eventually finds himself working for WCW. And I was sort of shocked to see how quickly these discussions disbanded. Uh, is, did, did Shane leave a bad taste in Vince's mouth? It feels like over the years, if you leave and you're critical, sometimes that actually works in your favor. And, uh, he eventually brings everybody back, but not Shane Douglas. What do you remember about that? Yeah. I don't think that Shane ever really helped himself with some of the things that he used to say about the company and the performers in it and, and people in it. Shane would always be very outspoken, but that worked for him on, on the independence that worked for him elsewhere to be that bad boy and to be outspoken and to have those opinions. So that made him cool. The, during this time, again, you know, it's kind of much ado about nothing from the standpoint of did Shane reach out and have an interest in coming in? And we said, yeah, Hey, let's, let's talk to Shane Douglas, find out where his head is and maybe bring him in. That's, that's the story. (laughs) You know, there was, there was no more really beyond that. There wasn't at the time. I don't know. There was anyone that Shane had any baggage with. I don't know that there was anybody that, you know, was vehemently, Oh God, we don't need to bring Shane Douglas in here at all. It just was, Hey, Shane would like to come in. Is there any interest? Possibly feel him out, see where his head's at, see what he's looking for. Maybe he was looking for too much. Maybe his head wasn't in the right place. Wasn't really into the creative and thank you very much, man. Nice to see you. Wish you the best of luck. It wasn't an adversarial deal. It wasn't, oh my God, there's this big play for Shane Douglas. We've got to have him. It was one of many telephone calls and or meetings where, what are you doing? Would you like to come in? What can we do? Let's talk. Well, one of the things people are talking about here is Bruce Pritchard. Meltzer would write, there has to be a reason Bruce Pritchard has these cameo sightings on TV from time to time. At one point, he was scheduled for an on-air role as Glenn Ruth's manager and a revised heel clown gimmick, but that hasn't been talked about much of late. And these kinds of plans change almost daily. Uh, you got some splanding to do. Why were there just random Bruce Pritchard cameos here? Well, we've talked about it before as far as me coming back in as, is a manager and doing the DTK doink, the clown, uh, DTK enterprises, doink, the clown enterprises and managing Glenn Ruth. That was kind of the germ of the original idea. It evolved and it evolved into, you ever see, uh, Bassomatic from the skit from Saturday night live. Yes. With Dan Aykroyd. Well, essentially I was going to be that guy. The Bassomatic guy, you know, look, you could, you, you could take two fish, three fish, four fish, five fish more. And look at this all about water concoction, blah, blah, blah. But do it with, we were doing a lot of the hardcore matches and, and different things and, and using a lot of props and a lot of different shit. This was during the time of the auction on the internet, everything was being auctioned off. I, I, I don't even know if eBay was really as big as it got to be 
you know, a little bit later on, but it was, there were a lot of auction sites out there and people putting unique items up for bid. So we thought, well, shit, what if we had an auction site, part of WWF.com where we auctioned off the moose head that Al Snow hit Pierre with, or we auctioned off the car that he rode down to the ring or the basketball, um, the, the pan that so-and-so got hit over the head with these unique items that I would go down and collect. And then I would take them and I would auction them off. That was the idea. That was the, the germ of that idea, but do it in a, in a style very similar to that of the Dan Aykroyd basmatic guy and over the top had my hair brown and, and just doing, uh, having a little fun with it and making it a part of the show and a part of WWF.com. But it was a, it was a revenue deal to just try and another way to sell unique merchandise. Let's, uh, let's talk about a couple of cameo appearances that Vince makes on TV. Um, we've mentioned that there was a Larry King situation. Well, how about Matt Lauer having him on the today show and it's supposed to be here to promote King of the ring. But of course that's not what they want to talk about. They're going to spend the entire time talking about Owen Hart and later that same day, he films an appearance on Conan O'Brien again to plug the pay-per-view and here, you know, they don't bring up Sable or uh, Martha Hart or Owen Hart or anything like that. But there are logical questions asked about illogical storylines. Like, Hey, if you run the wrestling show, why don't you just make yourself champion? And Hey, if you hate Steve Austin so much, why don't you just fire him? what do you think of these two totally different interviews that the company clearly set up? Was Vince in a bad spot? Was he the right guy for the spot? Were you surprised when the Today Show wanted to discuss King of the Ring exactly zero? Huh. No, I'd never surprised that because that's what they do. They'll bring you in for one thing and try and do the gotcha on the other side of it. And, you know, it's, it's funny when they run that gambit, like you just said, where, oh, this is all bullshit. We know it's fake. Well, okay, Vince, if you're the boss, then why don't you just fire Steve Austin if you have that problem with him? It becomes, it insults the intelligence of their viewers because their viewers, hopefully a lot more intelligent than, than that to, to believe that kind of shit. So it was, there was a lot of that coming in. Somebody had to field it. Um, Vince owner of the company. And although a lot of times he didn't always like being put in that, in that role, um, Vince likes to kind of be forgotten about. I know that's crazy for people to think of, but he would go out there and do it. If there was no one else to do it, sometimes he was the best face for the company. Sometimes maybe not, but, uh, if they requested him specifically for a vehicle, like an NBC and a today show, that's someplace where you'd probably want to put, put him out there to address some of that shit to handle whatever it is they're going to throw his way. So there was a lot of that, man, during that time, just that it's in the mainstream. People are looking out and people are, are seemingly for the first time realizing that there's professional wrestling in the WWF out there. And it's this huge business. 
so it's it's new. Oh my God, can you believe people go to this? So yeah, get out there and get in front of it as best you can. Let's talk about the build to the actual pay-per-view. Uh, the Druids are going to carry the Undertaker symbol to the ring on the May 31st Raw, and then the corporate ministry is going to come out and follow the Druids to the ring, and he's going to start talking about uh, a greater power. You've got Shane McMahon and Paul Bear and the Undertaker, and they're all talking about the greater power. And then Vince comes out on the rampway and says, you screwed Steve Austin, and now I'm going to screw you. And Vince orders the Undertaker to defend his world title against Steve Austin later in the show. And Shane remind Vince that he only controls half of the WWF and the title won't be on the line. Vince said title or no title in the words of Steve Austin, Austin's going to kick your ass. And of course, later in the show, we see Vince McMahon beat the Undertaker by DQ in two minutes and 12 seconds. Um, you can imagine what's happening here. Later in the show, Steve Austin is going to beat the undertaker by DQ seven minutes and 13 seconds. And there's going to be a hooded figure wearing black walk to the ring as chanting music is playing. And this is after Austin's tied up in the ropes. Lawler and Ross are, are going to assume it's Shane. And then the greater power, the higher power got into the ring and revealed himself to Austin, but not to the cameras. And the show goes off the air with Jr. asking, who in the hell is the greater power? Did you already know where you were going with this at this, or are you still figuring it out? Even though, I mean, you're, you're sort of teasing that you've got a direction, but sometimes plans change, pal. Shit. Well, Russo is getting credit for this one, folks. Um, you know, this is, this is the one where you go back to the old Christopher Daniels or Vince Russo had the idea of using Christopher Daniels as the fallen angel to be the higher power until I think Vince actually, you know, saw him and it was like, what the hell, how is he going to work with undertaker? How's he going to do this? And all this other shit. Um, and you're saying that based on size, based on size. Yeah. Cause Chris is a hell of a talent, a hell of a worker, but it, it was just based on everything else. Um, didn't really match up. So they got stuck and this, this is my synopsis now that they got stuck to go, okay, what do we do now? And I don't think that they really had an answer for a while is to well, who the hell are we going to use as the higher power? Then we're in this story about a higher power. Everything's revolving around is it's like the black scorpion in WCW. Uh, that's exactly what I compared it to here. You had, you know, originally it was going to be, um, God, it was going to be Dave Sheldon, uh, or Al Perez, all these different guys were going to be the black scorpion. And they had different guys go all over the country. And Russell is the black scorpion against sting for a period of time, but it ends up, oh, it's Ric Flair. Cause they had nothing else. And they realize, well, you know, Al Perez isn't going to work. Dave Sheldon's not going to work. This guy's not going to work. That guy's not going to work. And that's what happened to us here. It got to the point where you have a McMahon-Austin 
storyline that is so strong, whatever that character is better be stronger than that Mr. McMahon character that was created. And I think it just came down to, it can't be, it's a swerve, bro. It's a swerve. We'll swerve them. It's been you all along. But then, and the problem with that swerve shit a lot of times is, is you have to go back now and rationalize some of the shit you did. Because even if it is a swerve, there's certain things you wouldn't have done if you were really in power. And, and that was, it just got really, really, really convoluted. But it just ended up being, okay, it's Vince. He's higher power. He's pulled another one over on Austin. He pulled Austin into the fold and, and he, he duped him by God. And you're, you're now it's next chapter instead of a new book. So the June 7th episode of raw, the undertaker comes to the ring with the corporate ministry and starts off by saying, you know, the day of reckoning is at hand and The greater power walks to the ring, holds the mic to his face. Shane's voice then comes over the PA system and Shane walks out to the ring, revealing that he wasn't the greater power. Uh, and before revealing the identity, he wanted Vince McMahon to witness it. So Vince is on the Titan Tron and he says he's close enough where he's standing in the back and wouldn't walk to the ring, but vowed later to end the reign of evil, reign of evil. And then of course the greater power removes the hood reveals himself to be Vince McMahon and very famous call. It was me, Austin. It's been me all along. You bought it hook, line and sinker. And you hear that you hear Jr. say something like, oh shit, or, or whatever. It's hilarious. His, oh, his, damn. It, it, it's him. I, I didn't see that one coming. Damn it. Well, what do you think of the execution? You know, I mean, we're poking holes in the creativity saying, well, goddamn, there's no continuity in that, but it is a surprise, but it doesn't really check all the boxes, but there was a reaction. what do you think of the reaction? Well, goddamn, it's a surprise when I get fucking, uh, pad tie instead of pad CU from DoorDash, But, um, <laughs> I don't know if it was a good surprise. It, it just, to me, uh, my reaction was a groan. My reaction was, uh, cause it was time for something new. It was, it was time for a turn. It was time for, uh, introducing a new, a new character and, and moving on and trying to come up with something different at the time. So it was done as well as it absolutely possibly could have been done in my opinion, because you were stuck, you were sitting there, you had promised a reveal, you gave them a reveal, but it was maybe not the reveal that they were really looking for. And to some people, I think that that may have disgusted them a little bit to say, that's it. That's the reveal. And that was the reveal. So he's going to thank Shane undertaker, triple H and the rest of the ministry. And then Stephanie and Linda McMahon walk out of the rampway. Stephanie's asking Vince, why Vince is saying, I love you both. It's just business. And Linda says, Vince, I love you too, but this has nothing to do with business. And in fact, 
Vince has been lying all along about the 50, 50 split. There are four owner, four owners of the company, each of whom own 25%. She says that she and Stephanie were part of the corporate meeting earlier today, and they've made some changes around the office, including an address code that allows cutoff jeans. Swearing is now allowed and you can even drink on the job. And she announced that earlier in the day, she stepped down as CEO of the company, but not before picking a successor. Stone Cold Steve Austin, who steps out in a t-shirt, jeans, and a red tie around his neck. He's holding a clipboard and he announces at King of the ring. He's going to face both Vince and Shane at the same time in a two on one match. And later in this same show, Vince would beat Ken Shamrock in 42 seconds in a lion's den match. I can't believe this was a real thing. Vince wrapped the chain around the door to the cage and wouldn't let Shamrock inside. He finally unwrapped the chain, but held it as a weapon. Jarrett gave Shamrock a chair shot to the head, then threw him in the ring and McMahon applied the ankle lock and the ref immediately called for the bell because Shamrock is knocked out. What an interesting show here. Uh, Austin is the CEO. McMahon is the higher power. And although with a lot of help from his friends, Ken Shamrock got beat by Vince McMahon in a lion's den match. That reads like a, a, a crazy bit of news. Does it not? It does. But I got to tell you too, that was some fun stuff. And that was really interesting because it was what, what, when you think about ludicrous things for Vince to do, that was pretty damn ludicrous. And to put Kenny in that environment, most dangerous man in the world and all that other shit. And then do that to him with Vince. I thought it was that part very creative and the shit that we did with Steve at the office. God, that was a lot of fun. And to me still holds up today, sitting around the boardroom, giving everybody beer and God damn son, you drink too slow. And, uh, the manure in the office, all that shit was just very entertaining. I enjoyed, and we're talking about the June 14th raw where highlights are airing from earlier in the day. This is Austin's first day as CEO at Titan tower. He's wearing his ring vest, a pair of shorts and boots. And he goes to the, the secretary up front and he tells her you're not answering the phones, right? Here's how you do it. And the next time the call comes in, he answers who the hell is this and what the hell do you want? And then the, the secretary answers the next call exactly like that. So lots of fun little skits. Did you produce these? I did, uh, some of them. I, I, I helped out on some of them. I didn't produce them all. No. And, but I was there for all of them and just kind of gave input and we laid all that stuff out. It was, that was during the time where it could be so, so much fun. Vince would walk in, this is what we're going to do. And, and let's just start shooting. And you have the talent of Steve Austin that could just go out and go, yeah, got it. All right, let's go. And it'd be so fucking entertaining. You, you didn't, you didn't have scripts. You didn't have all this other shit to go back and go, oh, no, you didn't say this word, right? You didn't do that. You need to turn three quarters of a turn to the left and raise your right eyebrow. It was just, here's what we want to do. Let's go do it. And they did it. And to me, that's why they came across as genuine and fun because it was fun for everybody. Well, it's fun to uh, save some money this summer too. start paying less interest on your credit card balances by refinancing with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. It's an easy way to save hundreds to thousands of dollars and lower your interest rate 
Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.95% APR with auto pay. And that's far lower than the average credit card interest rate of over 19% APR. Plus there are absolutely no fees and you could even get your money as soon as the day you apply because Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience. Now, just for our listeners, apply now and get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Russell. That's L I G H T S T R E A M.com slash Russell. Now this is subject to credit approval. The rate's going to include a half a percent auto pay discount terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information. And, uh, we can't thank Lightstream enough. They've been a great sponsor for us for a real long time. And, uh, I think I've shared before my great experience that I've had with Lightstream. Uh, I can't recommend this process enough. These guys have it down pat and they'll help you save some cash. Absolutely. My baby girl is looking to get in her next car using lightstream.com. So, Hey, we use it. You should too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, the manure stunt, you know, you, you mentioned it in passing, but one of the things that happens at Titan towers is, uh, Austin, the CEO orders a bunch of manure to be dumped into Vince's office. And he says, Hey, let's reassign Shane McMahon's salary and put it in the company beer fund. And yeah, lots of funny skits like that. The manure in Vince's office. Talk me through it. Well, Conrad, first you got to make a phone call and you got to go to Manure R Us and it's right over there off of High Ridge Road in Sanford, Connecticut, and they will deliver some really fine, fine fertilized manure on over to the office. It was all that good shit that you would think that you would always want to do to your boss and some of it. And I, I don't know if I've ever told the story here before about Pat Patterson and I one time Vince used to go to Florida for Christmas and, and the holidays and like, like Christmas and new years and shit. And they would stay at, at their place in Florida and they would leave, uh, the house in Connecticut. Well, on the way to work, there was this place that had these giant cement statues. When I say giant cement statues, they had the things, you know, like the, the, the bird baths and things that you see in people's front yards and stuff like that. You know, and the lady with the vase and the water poured out of it and shit like that. But they also had like these 15, 20, 30 foot big, huge statues like chickens and, and, uh, farmers maids and just different shit all over this, this big, I guess was a nursery type place. And Pat and I used to drive by it practically every day. And, and we got to laughing one day. Wouldn't it be funny if Vincent Linden and the kids and everybody went to Florida for the holidays. And when they came home the day before they came home, we loaded up their front yard and their front foyer in the, in the front of their house with a bunch of these statues and shit, just rent them for a day. 
And we thought that was the funniest damn thing. And we actually went and looked into it and started, you know, we, we started the process and we were going to do like three or four. <sighs> Those bastards double crossed us and called the office to find out how to get into to where they needed to deliver this shit. And then it got sent down, you know, and of course somebody called Vince and Florida Vince, did you order all these statues? All What the hell? God damn it. Patrick Bruce. Somehow we got blamed for that. So long story short, we, we never actually got it to take place. We did do all of our research. We did do our due diligence. We were ready to make the down payment and have everything done. And they double crossed us and called the office cause they knew who Vince was and they just needed more information. But I thought that would have been hilarious as shit. Go in and go in this nice little neighborhood in Greenwich and have giant chicken statues all over the place that you couldn't move without a, you know, major apparatus to move that shit, big backhoe and everything. Let's talk all the things that could have happened. Let's talk about GTV. This uh, episode of Raw features a skit where a woman is shaving Billy Gunn's ass in a locker room, and Gunn is talking about how wonderful and majestic his ass is. Uh, the woman finds a zit, and Billy told her if she tells anyone, he wouldn't allow her the privilege of shaving his ass anymore. Talk to me about, uh, ass zits, shaving ass, majestic ass, GTV. What do you got? You want anybody talking about your ass zits? So this is where you draw in real life, Conrad. This is where you go and you look and sometimes, you know, how like you get that little bump on your butt and you're feeling it. And, and at first it just is, a, is an annoyance. Then after a while it gets red and ripe and all pussy and ready to protrude and just pop. Well, that's, that's what this was just because Mr. Ass being Mr. Ass, of course, always has to have the nicest ass and nobody wants anybody knowing you got zits on your ass for fuck's sake. I mean, that'd be like a sunny poot film or something. All righty. King of the ring round one matches. Uh, Billy Gunn gets a win over Viscera Shamrock gets a win over Jeff Jarrett. Big show over draws Kane over test road dog over Godfather. China gets a win over Val Venus. Bob Holly picks up a win over Al snow. X-Pac beats the big boss man and let's get to the king of the ring. You watch this show for the first time in like what? 20 years overall. Is this the show you remember or not so much? Not so much. You know, this is one of those is we talk about sometimes you, you almost block it out of your memory right. and forget about it because there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot. There wasn't a whole lot of new, there wasn't a whole lot of monumental, you know, the, the most monumental obviously is, you know, we'll talk about in the, the, the main match, which was basically counterproductive monumental. <laughs> when you go back and you look at it, it was, it was a card is what it was. It was just I don't sort know of, that it was a show. Of, it was a card. Explain that it was matches. 
Yeah. It, it, it was matches for matches sake. And granted, you know, like we talked about last week with the King of the Ring being a pay-per-view that it was going to be that wrestling pay-per-view based on wrestling matches, based on a tournament to crown a new King of the Ring. And by design, that's going to be matches. That's going to be people qualifying. That's going to be people advancing and what have you. But we had entered into an era at this point of story dictating everything. And in this case, matches dictated the story. So it was kind of forgettable is the best way to put it. Let's talk about uh, King of the Ring for a minute here. Bret Hart wins in 93. The next year, it's Owen Hart. 95 is Mabel. 96, Stone Cold Steve Austin. 97, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. 98, Ken Shamrock. And of course, this year is going to be the year Billy Gunn wins here at King of the Ring 99. But how about the next three? 2000 is Kurt Angle. 2001 is Edge. 2002 is Brock Lesnar. When I run through some of those King of the Rings that you guys ran pretty consistently pay-per-views for from 93 to 02 before taking a little bit of a break and then reviving it in 2006, I run through all those names. Obviously, Mabel sticks out like a sore thumb. Who's next on that list? Who Who is next after Brock? No, after Mabel. So like, like the idea being, if Mabel was the worst King of the Ring in this bunch... I mean, it's Brett, Owen, Austin, Helmsley, Shamrock, Gunn, Angle, Edge, Lesnar. Is Billy Gunn the next worst King of the Ring? Yeah, I'd probably go Gunn and then Kenny. I mean, it's just... But but you know what? When you say that, think about that. Yeah. When Billy Billy Gunn is your second worst, that's not bad. No, no. That that was my point. That, you know, you gave it to top guys, whether it was edge or Brock Lesnar or Kurt Angle or Hunter or Brett or Austin. And then I, no one's ever going to complain that Owen was King of the ring. I mean, that was an excellent story and obviously very well deserved by a great wrestler. But then there's the shamrock experiment, which we've talked about ad nauseum here on the show. And, uh, and now this is Billy Gunn's year in hindsight. Maybe this singles push for Billy Gunn didn't wind up like everybody hoped. And we've talked about that on our new age outlaws episode, which is available in the archives. Could you have made a different call here? At the time? No, at the time, because we were really looking for somebody to break out and we were looking for that, for that next heel. We were looking for somebody for Steve to work with and who's someone that can talk, looks good and go out and have good matches and has some personality. Billy checked all those boxes. So we needed to try. We needed to see if he could actually carry the ball and take it to the next level with his promos and his matches and deliver in the, in the big game, if you will. So that's fresh. And, and it just, you, you got to try sometimes. So as far as the candidates that we had, and looking at the future, I think that Billy Gunn was the right choice in, in this particular situation to do something new and find out what you got on the roster. Let's talk a little bit about why Billy was selected here. I, I think one of the things that maybe 
is lost on people. It's first of all, Billy's like your age. He's like 55. Maybe I think it'd be 56 this year. And I don't know that just, uh, it seems like you would be older than Billy, but also too, I think people sleep on Billy gun size. I know he was billed at different times as being six, three. He's not, this is one of those rare instances where he's actually taller than what he's billed at. He's probably six, five. I mean, this is someone who, and I'm not saying this to be funny, Hulk Hogan size. And I don't think people sort of compute the two, but Vince had to be enamored with Billy just based on the look and presentation of this guy looks like a top guy. Well, he was a top guy and he, as far as athleticism, shit, I'll put Billy Gunn up against anybody that there is incredible athlete. Like you said, people look at him and go, oh yeah, he's a big guy. He's probably six, two. No, he is. He's big. He's probably six, four, six, five and built like a brick shit house but can do anything, uh, physically gifted, unlike just absolutely amazing, great smile, great look, great personality. Sometimes that personality was difficult to get on camera and to be able to have him relate to the audience and get me to that, to that story, to care about him, whether love him or hate him, because it was almost indifferent in the back. It was easy to love or hate him because he was just kept sop and he was, he would go out and he would be, he's funny. He was a cut up. He was that way. And he could be a miserable prick too sometimes, but it was, it was a guy with a good look. You look at the upside and you say, God damn, man, there's a lot of upside over here. Um, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd go with Billy Gunn again. I would, I would make, I would make the same choice again. But I mean, even you would admit this didn't work out the way everybody hoped. No, it didn't. And it didn't work out for a variety of reasons. And and I, I will say, you know, we've talked about it before on the new age outlaws that when we split them up, when you take a tag team, a lot of times Billy had asthma. Billy's great tag team wrestler. Billy could go and Billy could get in the ring. And when it was his time to shine, man, he shined. However, for him to go out and have to have a, um, 15, 20 minute match, that was difficult for him because, because of his wind and he couldn't, he couldn't go. He had, uh, he had asthma and just couldn't maintain it breathing wise. So that hampered his in-ring work. So you take that away, maybe, but we didn't know that we didn't know to the extent that would affect him, uh, in a singles run because he was such a good athlete. He could do things in short spurts, but to try and do that over a long haul, he would get gassed and he would be sucking for wind. I do want to mention something that, well, it was reported in the, in the sheets, so I need to, but I, I find that these type of little tidbits fascinating as last week went on, suddenly word came out. There was a video box cover for the upcoming King of the ring tape with big show on the cover of the box with the caption stating, see big show go through eight men on route to winning the King of the ring. Since word spreads fast these days, which in hindsight appears to have been a plant, this made Paul White something of a favorite going in. Chat me up here, Bruce. 
Big Show winning King of the Ring. Was it discussed? Was this an accidental release? Do you guys have to change it? Did you put this out as subterfuge? What do you remember? Yeah, I don't really remember what the hell that was other than that may have been something. A lot of times when you do mock-ups and you're coming up with posters or what have you, there'll be a lot of different guys. You'll see shit, you know, like right now probably with somebody else wearing the WWE championship. You'll see Kevin Owens with the with the title. It's a mock-up and this is what it could look like. This is what could happen. Um, place anybody in here. You know, okay, I can place Billy there. I can place Austin there. I can place Goldust there. Whoever it is you want to place in there. So I think that's what happened. I think somebody might have seen that and went, oh, I know what they're going to do now. Uh, it's Big Show. He's going to be king of the ring. Because I don't ever really remember, and that's not saying that it wasn't discussed. I don't ever remember Big Show being discussed to be king of the ring. He didn't need it. It was something that, you know, as that attraction and as new as he was at the time, that that was, that wasn't someplace we wanted to go with him. The king of the ring was often a tool that was used to try and get somebody maybe been there for a while. And let's take him to the next level. And that didn't fit that big show story in any way. So the live show opens up with a dark match with meat pinning Kurt angle. It's pretty crazy. Uh, of course, angle is going to beat Stacey. in his pay-per-view debut a few months later at survivor series. But what, uh, what a little footnote here that meat got to win over Kurt angle meat. Uh, the first match on Sunday night heat. It's the uh, Hardy boys going to a no contest with edge and Christian. Cause the acolytes are going to come in and attack both teams. And after the match, Bradshaw's going to challenge Mr. Ass on Raw the next night for possession of the other tag team title. Uh, Midian and Viscera are going to beat Big Boss Man in one minute and 47 seconds. Midia came to the ring wearing the European title belt and then hits Boss Man with the belt and pins him. And then Viscera splashes Boss Man after the match and he's double teamed until Mark Henry and D'Lo make the save. And then road dog does an interview for his King of the ring match with China. And of course that brings China and Hunter out and China's going to slap dog. And after triple H distracts him, gives him a low blow X-Pac runs in and, uh, well, DX is having problems. Prince Albert gets a win over Val Venus in just a couple of minutes. Uh, draws is going to show up here and shove Venus off the top rope. And, uh, Ken Shamrock is going to get a win over. Shane McMahon in 43 seconds, uh, by DQ. Of course, Shawn Michaels earlier in the show announced that Shamrock versus Vince is the match, but Vince wants a suitable replacement, which winds up being Shane. Uh, they finished the show with Steve Blackman interfering with a kendo stick and, and delivers what is described as a zillion kendo stick shots on Shamrock and. They start coughing up blood here and they showed lots of replays of this to start the pay-per-view so you could sort of get a recap of what happened. Some of these, uh, kendo stick shots, man, these are pretty legit right to the midsection of Ken Shamrock. Oh yeah. See Blackman wasn't afraid to, uh, throw a kendo shot here and there, throw a kick or anything else for that matter. So yeah, I like to lay him in, but speaking of laying them in, I'm just 
as you're going through this, man, and this was again during the Russo era, and I don't know what what significance this has, but it just I, I just started chuckling at the names. You got meat in in a match, and then you've got Prince Albert and Val Venus, all just tied to one phallic symbol. And you know what? If you'd like to fashion your dick hair in a certain way to really showcase, because you know your name might be Bruce or Charlie. You get a regular name. You don't have like a cool Val Venus name, but if you want like a cool dick hair design, like what, Connie, there you go. You could do that and support something to wrestle when you check out Manscaped, and they're number one in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped is going to offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And, uh, Bruce, I know recently you were telling me that you fashioned, you gave your, your dick a new do, and it was a hit around the office. Well, not actually it. It was around it. It's the manscaping <laughs> around it. Okay. Cause they, they've got a really nice redesigned electric trimmer. Wait, wait, hang on now. How would macho man describe this? I don't know if I can do macho man because the teeth hurt pretty bad because the lawnmower 2.0 is got a proprietary skin safe technology. It's not gonna nick or snag your nuts if you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, huh? Yeah, manscaping accidents are a thing in the past, and you don't need to use the same trimmer on your face, even though I do. That's just nasty. Uh-uh, not gonna happen, no. <laughs> And Manscaped also has a crop preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant, and moisturizer. <laughs> you get them clean and moisturized all at the same time. Hey, you already put deodorant on your armpits. You know you do and you should. But why not on the smelliest part of your body? Always use the right tools for the right jobs, and your balls are going to thank you. Oh, yeah, dig it. Freak out, huh? Tell them what they get. Get 20% off, plus free shipping, and a free travel bag when you use the code WRESTLE at manscaped.com. And I want to spell that for you. It's M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com, and that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use our promo code WRESTLE. And take care of your dick hair, son. I got to tell you, Conrad, too, this is, this is kind of funny. I'm embarrassed the shit out of him because I know he listens to it loud at work is my son was so excited when he saw the man skate box arrive. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't get it out of the package. It's his. So, oh, well, but you know what? He gets it. It's okay, man. It's good. You got to take care of your shit down there, man. He's probably showing his off a little more than you're showing yours off anyway. He's got more to show off. You want to explain what that means? No. Okay. In the first King of the Ring match, X-Pac gets a win over Bob Holly by DQ. Three minutes and two seconds. He gets a dud rating in the Observer. Eh, not that great of a match. <laughs> oh god damn my teeth hurt so fucking bad that was about that you, you did you did my whole you did my whole fucking review right there eh. <laughs> eh. Eh. it was fucking done eh. Eh, six fucking bob okay eh. fuck okay that one's done 
Kane and Big Show go six minutes and 36 seconds. Negative one star this one gets in the Observer. Um, yeah. Meltzer would say, in a spot right out of an Ernest Miller Nitro match, both guys went for high kicks at the same time, which would have been tricky with good wrestlers. And anyway, both missed by about a foot and both fell down. Even the fans who wanted to love everything were having a hard time figuring out how to react to this. Uh, what did you think of the match? And what did you think of the uh, both guys falling over? At least it was slow. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, man, I, I, I realize when you get into it, why it was erased from my memory in so many ways. You got two big monsters. You're, you're putting them in there trying to go, okay, goddamn, these two big monsters are going to collide. Sometimes that's really cool. Sometimes it's not. Because even when big monsters beat the shit out of each other, it is not as exciting to watch as someone of, of, of a smaller size or an equal size, I guess, when they're matched up that way. But um, kind of slow and plotting. Not real fucking good. Next up, Mr. Ass is going to get a win over Shamrock in three minutes and 37 seconds. The match actually ends, though, when Teddy Long stops it because there's just a ton of blood coming out of Shamrock's mouth. Uh, it gets uh, half a star. I thought it was telling a really cool story as to how you explain, you know, and, and have some rationale and reasoning for last year's champion of the King of the Ring, the tournament winner, being eliminated here. What do you think? I thought it was okay. I, I want you to read the rest of, of, of the notes there though. Read all, all the way from the, from the back about the FMW stadium show and all that shit. This finish was apparently taken from the Shamrock Vader match at the FMW stadium in 1997 when legit, when Shamrock had legit internal injuries and was power bombed by Vader about halfway into the match and started coughing up blood parentheses. This was legit and they stopped the match. Of course it's fucking not legit. Yeah, that comes from the expert in Japan and all, but because it happened in Japan, he felt it was legit. Why did you, why did you, why did that stick out? I mean, I know, you know why, because he's so full of shit. He thinks, oh, well, it happened in Japan. They would, it's legit. If it's in Japan, bull fucking shit. It's just, no, it was a work. It was a finish folks. I listen, I can't believe this is, I can't believe I'm going to ask this, but, uh, you want to comment on the, uh, the whole best in the world conversation that Seth Rollins has been having on Twitter. I haven't kept up with it. Well, he's contending that WWE is the best wrestling in the world and he's the most consistent and, uh, therefore he's the best in the world. Well, good for him. I mean, that's sort of the confidence every guy, every top guy should have you right? should, every, every, every single look. Here's the thing. Steve Austin and I used to say this all the time. If you don't want to be the champion and you don't want to be the best in the world, then what the fuck are you doing in the business? What are you doing? Don't you want to be the best mortgage company in the world? First family mortgage, best mortgage company in the world. Yes or no? Yeah, we're working on it. Okay. So great. I I applaud everybody that wants to do that and that believes that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why everybody sort of got up in arms about it. Like, what's he supposed to say? Hey, I'm just glad to be here. Appreciate y'all allowing me. No, I mean, you want to be the guy. So, and especially when you have been the guy, uh, somebody who it looks like you guys are trying to 
get ready to be the guy's road dog here. He's going to pin China in 13 minutes and 19 seconds. And check out this line from the observer. This was actually the best match of the entire tournament, which speaks volumes for this tournament. Hey, at least when it was over, Mabel didn't win. This is a, actually a pretty good match. And I think, you know, the expectation for an intergender match is not always, that it's going to be very good. Uh, this one actually isn't that bad star in three quarters. What'd you think? I actually thought it was good. And I thought that it was a testament to, to road dog. And this is where, you know, when we were talking about splitting guys up and making singles and you go, okay, well, road dog can hang road dog can go. And he proved it here by being able to go out and have a match with China who wasn't a seasoned worker and have a damn good match and a believable match. So, you know, hats off there to, to road dog because he made it damn good. And it was a pretty fun match to watch. Yeah. Uh, triple H comes down. looks like he's going to interfere. Shawn Michaels is going to come out, stopping from interfering. So there's our DX angle here. Next up, we've got the Hardy boys. They're going to get a win over edge and Christian in four minutes and 49 seconds. The winners are going to get a title shot at the acolytes. Meltzer would say it was a fast paced, good match, but way too short. And considering the show ended early, it's hard to understand why uh, the highlight was edge spearing Jeff off the middle ropes before the finish. And of course, Jr. selling it like it's the greatest spear on earth. And they show multiple angles of it, uh, two and a quarter stars. Uh, what'd you think? I thought, actually, I thought it was a hell of a match. And again, when you go back and you look at what all those matches became and how great, you know, the, the memories of all the great matchups that they had to me, that was like, all right, man, um, this was early on. This was four guys going out there and saying, pick me coach. I, I want to play and proving that they could play. And it was a nice, refreshing match with new talent that hadn't been featured in this big prominent role. So I enjoyed the hell out of it. Next Even up, Michael Hayes. Next up, we got um, Mr. Ass beating Kane. Five minutes and 25 seconds. It's the King of the Ring semifinal. Meltzer would say it had no heat. The finish would see Big Show come out and aim a chair shot at Ass, but then swings the chair about a foot higher and hits Kane in the face, and Ass pins him half a star. This is one of those, it's just sort of there matches for me. What say you? Yeah, this is one of those, it's just sort of there cards. Yes, it was okay. Well, okay, shit, man. We got to get through the, the Mr. Ass Kane match. Um, well, how about we just do this and okay, great. And I don't even think that from that vantage point that anybody wanted to debate it because it's like, well, what else are you going to do? Just move on. And that was in a lot of ways, a bit of the philosophy at that time in the business. Ah, nobody cares about the finish. Nobody cares. Um, and when, and when you, when you who are writing it and you who are creating it don't care, then the audience won't care either. And you're right. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Next up, X-Pac is in there with Road Dog. X-Pac gets the win in three minutes and eight seconds. Meltzer said on paper, it looked to be the best match on the card. 
as it was, the interviews were longer than the matches. And the idea here is, uh, X-Pac still has a neck injury from the neck breaker spot after the Bob Holly match a little earlier. And, uh, he's going to get out of the pump handle slam from road dog and turn it into an X factor. And that's your pin three quarters of a star. You're telling a, a cool DX story here, but they don't really get enough time. And I find that fascinating that China and road dog gets 13 minutes. X-Pac and road dog gets three minutes. Is that, and I know you're going to just blow up at this, but Hunter and China have at different times said that Hunter would involve himself in all of China's business at this time and try to fight for her. That, that match becomes the backdrop for triple H and Shawn Michaels coming in. Meanwhile, two more capable workers get a fourth of the time. Is that Hunter lobbying? China? I think that, well, no, that was the underlying story of DX and it was a big overall story. It wasn't just about those individuals. And I think when people look at it on paper and what you think would be a better match may have been a better match, the better story may have been what we did, but unfortunately the better story of the whole DX, uh, undercurrent, in my opinion, was too secondary, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I felt I felt that that should have been more, that that should have been a lot more of the focus, and that would have helped me with story throughout the tournament. Because then it's not just about the king of the ring. It's about, you know, the, the, this, this DX eruption and all the machinations that are happening amongst DX and then, you know, the, the, the B story almost is the king of the ring. That would have helped me a lot on this whole show. Instead, it was the opposite. Yeah, that makes total sense. Next up, we've got the undertaker working with the rock. They go 19 minutes and 10 seconds. The undertaker gets the pin star and a half. Um, this is definitely an era where you can expect lots of shenanigans. Uh, Mike Kyoto gets decked by the undertaker before the bell and the rock uses a rock bottom, but there's no ref. And the storyline idea here is the rock has three pins on the undertaker, but all three times there's no referee. What'd you think of this one? I thought it was good. It was a lot of Gaga and it became, there was a period I remember where every match you'd have something advertised and you would have a a big match for the championship or whatever. And you'd get there and you start listening to how the match is being laid out. And you're hearing everything that's going to go on and go, well, wouldn't that be a disqualification? Wouldn't that be a count out? Wouldn't that be this? Wouldn't that be that? Oh, fuck it. We'll throw it out. You know, we'll, 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 it'll be no DQ. Okay. Well, then we'll make it no count out. And they built so much Gaga into the matches that the matches became the finish became an afterthought, not the match. Um, it was a good, it was exciting. It was good. It was Gaga. It was big stars, but it wasn't anything that you go back and go, God damn it. You remember fucking undertaker rock. It's kind of like, Oh yeah, they were on that car too. And that was your championship match. 
So it was, yeah, this was that era of, of Gaga, uh, you know, a lot of Gaga for Gaga's sake. Sometimes I, I, I'm a Gaga guy. I like Gaga, but I don't just like it just for Gaga's sake. Triple H does a run in, gives the rock a pedigree, sort of puts the undertaker on top. Kato comes to rock kicks out. Then taker gets the tombstone and the pin. And now it's time for our tournament finale. Mr. Ass is going to pin X-Pac in five minutes and 33 seconds. Of course, Waltman selling his neck from the very beginning. And uh, he's going to use a famouser off the middle rope for the pin. No big ceremony afterwards. And Meltzer would say, or anything much on this show to put over like Gunn had really done anything big. Uh, star in a quarter. Do you think that, you know, he would have done better with some sort of coronation ceremony. The show's going to go off the air early. Why wasn't there some sort of celebration or crowning or whatever plan for Billy? I don't know. And it, that's where I come back to the lack of story. It was, it was about matches instead of the inner turmoil of DX to get to King of the ring. If you had had that and then you had a big ceremony afterwards and you had truly anointed him and actually I take it back on the, I don't know. I believe the, the idea was, well, whatever we do, we'll do a big deal on TV. I don't think we ever got there either. Um, but it was, I just think it was ass backwards. I think that the, the matches dictated the story instead of the story dictating the matches. And when you got there, it was like, okay, Billy, Billy's King of the ring. All right, Mr. Ass. All right. Thank you. Next. And that's what people were waiting for. They weren't at this point in the card, man, they weren't waiting for King of the ring. They're waiting for the fucking ladder match. They want to see Austin. They're hungry, man. Now they're, 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 they want their guy. And we've given them a lot of shit up until this point. Um, hindsight being 2020, I might've flipped the WWE championship match and, and the, uh, King of the ring match and just built with the, the those, you know, the, the King of the ring match, the championship match, and then the ladder match. But um, didn't do it. It just was kind of a ill, it was an ill paced show. There you go. It was, it was the pacing was off in storyline. Steve Austin got the opportunity to pick the stipulations for this main event. He made it a ladder match by defeating the big boss man on June 21st. And during the match. Vince would come to ringside, climb the ladder and yell at Austin as he's brawling with boss man in the crowd. Austin would knock the ladder over, sending Vince flying back first onto an announcing table at ringside, and the table didn't break. Um, but either way, we've got a ladder match now. And again, this is for 100% of the stock. So you're going to have controlling interest in the WWE. And Vince and Shane are going to win this handicap ladder match in 17 minutes and 11 seconds. And they've been doing a storyline throughout the show. The Shane was injured, and that Vince is going to bring out a surprise partner. And the surprise partner is Steve Blackman. Of course they get a camera and show Shane backstage just fine. And 
Shawn Michaels orders Shane to do the match. And it's mostly brawling. And there's a, the entrance structure for this show was a bunch of ladders. So obviously you have to destroy that. Austin's going to whip Vince and Shane into one ladder after another. And then he pulls a cord and they all fall on Vince and Shane. And Shane takes a really cool bump backwards over the announcer's table. And Austin took a controlled bump from the halfway point up the ladder onto Shane through the Spanish table. They climbed that ladder again and Vince would shove the ladder over. So Austin slammed into the English table and he's going to cut his, uh, his back open here and the table doesn't break. And then Austin would slam McMahon off the ladder. And at one point Shane got on Vince's shoulders to try to grab the briefcase, which is kind of funny. Uh, a couple of stunners climbs the ladder. It looks like Austin's got this one in control and magically someone pulls the briefcase too high for Austin to reach. So Austin goes after, um, Mark Eaton, the timekeeper. And then, uh, finally Austin and Vince are both climbing the ladder. Shane shoves the ladder over, climbs up, grabs the briefcase, runs off. And after the show goes off the air, it's in the live crowd home. Happy triple H comes to the ring and Austin stuns him like a dozen times, two and a half stars. So before we get to the obvious, what'd you think of the match? I was the shits. Um, and I only say it was a shit's story. Uh, the match was okay. It was a good ladder match. It was logical. It made sense until. Yeah. And the, you know, the whole idea behind this thing was, and originally we talked about it being boss man and, and some different people, but the idea was there would be someone back there, whether it be Linda or Stephanie or boss man or whoever. And you had an isolated camera of them hidden and them actually working the controls so that when Austin would, would go up, the, the briefcase would raise. And then when Vince would walk up, the briefcase would go down. Um, by the time we got there, it was like, ah, nobody cares about that. Just when Austin goes up, raise it, and then we'll bring it down later on. And the entire story was dropped to to just nothingness. And it was, well, we fucked him. Nobody needs to know. And to me, that was, I felt we did need to know. I I felt that that was a good part of the story, especially if it were Linda, because Linda was the one that brought Steve, you know, into the fold and did the whole stock divide and all that shit. So, when we didn't do it, it just kind of was flat. It, it, the first time someone got into the cage, Ole Anderson and them, I think they did a war games or some kind of bullshit. And, and Ole Anderson and them had the cage raised and a bunch of guys got in and then they lowered the cage and nobody else could get in. When that seal was broken, it destroyed the cage match. And for every cage match since then, I think that, I grew up in Texas where the cage match was the blow off. Nobody in, nobody out. That was the finale. And we, we bastardized it many, many times over the years. And some, so many different ways. It's hard to even comprehend, but in this particular instance, the story was there and you could have got another layer to the story. Instead, it was just, okay. They stole the company back and, we're back where we were. 
and it was a reset. It just was anticlimactic as shit. You're you're a viewer and you're waiting for the payoff, and your payoff is well, nothing's changed. So it, it was underwhelming to me, and it was it just um I don't know if it's a lack of planning or just a lack of not really knowing where the hell they wanted to go. So to set the record straight, the original idea for raising and lowering the briefcase was Linda or boss man. Some, it was someone like that. Uh, the original, the original like germ of the idea was what if it was like a Linda or a Stephanie or someone like that, that had been on Austin's side prior to that. And then it was, well, then boss man had taken over. It, there were a lot of different things that were bannied about, but the original germ of the idea was, was for someone to double cross Austin. The next night on raw, Austin's going to beat the undertaker to win the world title. I guess it's interesting to note because he lost the world title of King of the ring 98, but won it back the very next night on the Monday night raw following King of the ring. A year later, he wins the world title once again, one night after King of the Ring. Why was uh, the next night the right time to take the belt off of Undertaker and put it on Austin? And was there ever any consideration to putting the belt back on The Rock here and having The Rock be the guy to beat The Undertaker? The reason for putting it back on Austin was to make Austin whole again based off of what had been done the night before. You know, Steve hundred percent control of the company. He didn't get it. He got screwed out of it. Well, now how, how does he keep anything and the way for him to still keep power and for him to still be that relative top guy, you needed to put the championship back on him so that he still had something to hang over the McMahons. That was why and do it on TV, a larger audience, but now bring that story whole and hopefully let people forget what the hell they had witnessed the night before. At least I hope the hell that was, <laughs> you know, the rationale for that because it did, it helped. And just the, in general, it was to make Steve whole. Let's, um, let's talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing next here on the show. But before we do, I want you to rank this King of the ring. We just, we just covered King of the ring, 1994, which was not a great show. 1995, probably not the best show, but a lot of folks point to this one as so, sort of, eh, where do you fall on King of the Ring 99? Where does it rank? Well, see, having just gone back and watched him recently, I, this one has to be the second worst to me because I, again, I watched 94 last week and now watching this one and, and just being completely underwhelmed and thinking, God, and we were red fucking hot, man. We could do no wrong. And this one was not right. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm excited about doing what we're doing next week. We haven't done a watch along for WCW ever, and it's finally happening. We're going to watch the July 6th, 1998 nitro. Of course, that's the famous one from the Georgia dome where Bill Goldberg would beat Hulk Hogan to become the WCW world champ. When was the last time you saw that show or have you ever seen it start to finish that you know of? I've never seen it start to finish. 
Well, I'm looking forward to it next week. Don't go watch it this week, or I mean, I guess you can, but watch it again with us next week. Uh, this is a, a fun little experiment. We'll take a look at what's happening on the other side of this channel. And of course, famously that night on Monday night, raw, we had brawl for all and the DX parody of the nation of domination. So, uh, we talked a little 99 today. We'll go back a year older for 1998 next week. When we talk about that nitro. We'd love to have your follow on social media at Pritchard show is where you can find us on Twitter and Instagram or forward slash something to wrestle on Facebook. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we'll see you next week, next Friday and every Friday at noon, this time covering nitro from July 6th, 1998. Bruce hit it. Shaka-con. Hey, and your new teeth sound good. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.